Welcome back to the Cyclingist Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. If you hear a bit of background noise, maybe a urban arrow going by, or some church bells chiming, that's because our very own Ronan McLaughlin is in Bruges right now. How are you, How are you Ronan? Oh, it's like a fairy tale here. Bruges. It is actually. It's a very fairy tale like city. And we've got Abby Mickey on the line. How are you, Abby? Hello. Yes, I am. I'm fine. And Dan Cash. Yes. Oh, you gonna ask me a question or you just say my name? I yeah. wasn't sure what to say to nope. that. You know. Nope. Okay. All right. No questions for you. Hi, Kaylee. Yeah. We are. We're back. It's Monday, September twentieth. We're in the middle of the world's week right now, and we're coming up on the very first women's Paris Roubaix, and of course. The following day, men's Paris-Roubaix. We're not going to talk about that quite yet, though. We've got Road Worlds, the elite road races coming up this weekend. We're going to be talking all about those. We're going to talk about what happened last weekend, of course, the world's time trials. We also have something really important to talk about today, which you might have caught on the site over the weekend. Uh, our Cycling Tips founder, Wade Wallace, wrote a piece on Afghan cyclists women cyclists who are trying to get out of the country. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, it's extremely important, and we just want to inform everybody of what is going on over there. Of course, we'll then preview the road races for this weekend. And finally, of course, we've got a nerd nugget because we've got Ronan on the line, and he was at Worlds over the weekend looking at all those time trial bikes. He's going to let us know what he spotted We've spotted some interesting things, some tire things. Oi, 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 oi. Mon, mon, <laughs> mon, mon, mon. Ooh, that was pretty good. Oh, Ronan, I'm impressed. I wasn't sure what to expect with the... with the. Ronan warned us before the pod that he may be doing some Belgian impressions. And, uh, hey, naturally, Junge. Is it here in Belgia? Must do the... Hele, hele, Belgia. Flemish? Do the whole show as a Belgian. I really, I want that. I want that for us. Hey. You come on a bad road, Anna. It's not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get on with the show today. But before we do, what are we learning about Continental today, Abby? As much as Kaylee dislikes time trials, uh, (laughs) there are many who actually really love them, including uh, the the new women's time trial world champion who said it was her favorite discipline of all time. I get I get I get so much I get so much stick for not liking these. I don't I don't not like them. I just don't want to do them myself. <laughs> That's a very sorry. Did you not say at one point that time trials don't belong in stage races? Didn't you say that? If I was, it was just to get a rise out of Dane. Oh well, that's fine. I'm fine with that. I may have said that team time trials don't belong in stage races. <laughs> by the way, I, I say a lot of things time trials rise out of Dane. There we go. That's that's too far. That's too far. Sorry, Abby. For those who do love time trials, Continental has a super fast Grand Prix TT or aero tuned attack and force set. The Grand Prix TT is specifically designed for going fast over short distances with a semi slick tread pattern, black chili compound, and veteran puncture protection made to challenge the clock. The attack force set are the aerodynamic set for the road. The specifically developed 3D tread pattern provides flow optimized behavior with the front tire being agile and direct and the rear tire comfortable and dampening 
Either way, Continental Tires are made to get you there fast. Perfect for the World Time Trial Championships that, you know, just happened. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about something related to this later in the show, I think. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see what Ronan spotted at the end. All right, let's get in. Did you just... Did you just correct my... <laughs> no, I didn't correct you. No, the, no, that was me. Continental. No, that was me. Oh, no, <laughs> Dane. Dane. Classic, okay. Dane corrected the grammar on the ad read. That, I couldn't that bear it being in, in British English when, yeah. when it was being written, written, uh, read by Abby. I couldn't bear it. Oh, yeah, I always I always write in British, and Dane gets really upset. There's you, there's extra U's all over the place. It's really... Yeah, it's, I love throwing a, a U in places that it doesn't It's a belong. shambles. It's an absolute shambles. <laughs> All right, let's get to the time trials from last weekend. Dane, I believe I said on this very podcast a week ago that Filippo Ghana would not win the World Time Trial Championship. Was I right? Kaylee, you were not right. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> First time uh, ever. I, I, I should say, though, that I think you... I don't blame you for thinking that because he'd been a little bit inconsistent coming in. I mean, we've seen Filippo Ghana like destroy everybody in time trials, and he wasn't doing that. He didn't do that at Euros, uh, so there was reason to believe that maybe uh, Wout van Aert or Stefan Kuhn could could overthrow him. But no, Filippo Ghana won the time trial. Uh, our headline, I think, described it pretty well. Or, or I guess you could kind of take issue with it. He, he came from behind to win, although technically, I mean, it's a time trial, so. Yeah, it wasn't like yeah he was always did behind, he start right? like <laughs> he started after so but the, the point here being yeah. that he was behind at the intermediate check, uh, but then gained some time on Watfan Art who has a history of coming in second. I'm sure he was displeased to do it again, uh, but Watfan Art yeah only second after looking really good out on the road. But Philip Ogana finished six seconds faster for a time of 47.47 on the 43.3 kilometer course, which is. By the way, that's pretty uh, impressive. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. Remco Evenepoel finished third. Stefan Kung, a bit of a disappointment, I have to say. Finished fifth after winning the European title. Uh, Kung has done some big things in his career. He's won a lot of nice time trials. Uh, but, you know, on the very biggest stage, like the Tour de France or the Worlds, he hasn't quite had the same results and that continued this year. So, Philip Ogana, again, your world time trial champion. Another year in the rainbow jersey. And uh, good for him, and I'm sure he's happy to have done that after, after uh, yeah, a slightly disappointing, perhaps, Euros performance. But yeah, there you go. There's your new TT World Champ. It sounds like Christmas behind Ronan. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to think maybe Ronan? I should have went to the, the alcoves in the Astrid Park. You you use this word, alcoves? The what? <laughs> uh, None of us have any idea what you're talking about. It's an end Bruges quote. If you were to murder a man, the alcoves is the place to murder a man. Uh Aha. I I think I should probably see in Bruges at some point, considering the fact that I end up there yearly, basically, for bicycle races. I'm, I'm, I'm taking control of this conversation, moving us back to time trial world championships. I'm pretty glad that all of us are wrong. I think it's super entertaining. Because I picked Kung, right? Who did you pick? We all basically picked Kong. I think I picked Van Art. Was mm. wrong still, but it was Van Art. So you were the least wrong. There we go. I was then. only yeah. six seconds wrong. <laughs> and and Dane, in in Van Art's uh, defense, you, you mentioned the fact that he uh, 
he has a tendency to come in second, um, but he also has a tendency to come in first. Like he does too. Yeah. Let's let's yeah let's give credit where credit is due. He comes in first a lot, uh, maybe even more than he comes in second. <laughs> That's true, and and unlike the others in this race, uh, definitely unlike Philippe Ogana, Wefenart also happens to have a, a pretty important goal coming up. Uh, he is the we'll talk about this in a, in a while, but he is the bookie's favorite for the road race. Which the fact that he was able to come in second. Here is pretty impressive in and of itself, even if he didn't win. The fact that he's able to get the silver medal and just by six seconds miss out on gold while also being the favorite to win the road race is pretty impressive. Can we talk and about think, Remco a little bit too? Oh, well, go just, ahead, Ronan. Just on, on White, he was on Sporza, uh, the Belgian sports channel, immediately after the, the podium ceremony, and he did not look happy. Uh, we've seen his reaction when Ghana crossed the line just after he did, uh, but I think he was already looking towards next Sunday about righting the wrong of losing the time trial world championships in Flanders. Uh, and I was watching sports thinking that uh, Remco looked pretty happy to have taken away a medal from the world time trial championships. But rumor has it now since that he didn't actually turn up to the press conference for the podium uh, writers. Uh, no, I wasn't there myself, but rumor has it he didn't turn up. Uh, and yeah, some people are reading into that, that he wasn't actually all that happy with third place but he was you know he was laughing and joking on Sporza uh, he seemed seemed happy at the time but definitely second and third is not what the Belgians uh, and especially the, the Flemish fans here were hoping for yesterday and looked like they were going to come away with so much more than that you know who else was laughing and joking on Sporza Patrick Lefebvre now no. We no. now we don't speak the correct language, but uh, according to Jose, he was slightly drunk on television, <laughs> which that will explain not, a lot from huge, this year. <laughs> we're not huge Lefebvre fans on this podcast. Uh, I mean, but anybody who goes on like national TV uh, a little bit blitzed, it's pretty funny at the very least. So. At least he has the ability to entertain us at very minimum. I want to talk briefly more about Remco, though. So, uh, was this a good ride for him? Like, whether he felt it was or not, I feel like I feel like third at, at this at this TT against those riders. I mean, he stood up on the podium and he's like a foot shorter than the other two. He's he's like, I think that's a pretty pretty solid ride. If, there, if this had been a hillier course, for example, he might have taken it. I was just going to say that on on this course, he he needs to be happy with that. Like it is when you see this course, it starts at sea level, and the first half of it is downhill. <laughs> explain <laughs> how is that even if, possible? If anyone can explain that to me, I'm more than happy to listen. But yes, I sat in a team car for one of the time trials, and the GPS was literally showing they started I think at one meter above sea level, and the first part of the course was downhill to minus three, uh, below sea level. Uh, so yeah, it's certainly not a course that was suited to his characteristics. I think it's good for him relative to the fact that he had a horrible crash uh, a, a little while ago. But it must be said that when he was 19 years old, back in 2019, he was second ahead of Philip Ogana in a very long and not all that hilly time trial. So I don't know that this really represents a progression for him as much as a, okay, Remco didn't have as great of a Giro as he was probably hoping, but... All signs point to him being fine, and we could still have you know plenty of hope for his future the way we have so far. But I don't know that this is necessarily the step forward that he might have been hoping to take as of 2021, two years after he was last a runner-up 
uh, in this very discipline and ahead of the guy who won this year, uh, Philip Ogana. I still think it's a win for him. Well, not a win. A third for him. But it's, you know, it's, uh, yeah, given the course, given everything, two monster riders, I think that he, he's got to be pretty happy with that. It's it's good to see him back, like fully, 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 fully back after it's been kind of a disappointing season in general for him. So it'll be interesting this weekend because you know obviously Wefenart is going to be the he's going to be the Belgians guy, right? No question in my mind about that. But course like this, you know, million corners, cobbles, all sorts of stuff, anything can happen. And he Remco's a pretty good backup plan, I think, for this weekend. And I I, I wouldn't say. You know, what might be the bookie's favorite coming into the elite men's race, but Remco like seems like a pretty good option to me as well. Anyway, we'll get into the we'll get into the preview part of this podcast later. Abby, for the first time in I was it eight years? Ellen Van Dyke with rainbow stripes out of the women's time trial. Yeah, Ellen Van Dyke, uh, this is her second world champion, world time trial championship victory. Her last was in 2013, but she said that this was a race that she thought that she could win. She felt really good uh, all, all season kind of leading up or all lead up to it. But she was very worried about Marlon Rusa, who beat her in every single time trial um, l- leading up to this race, basically, including the European championship time trial. But she put in such an incredible performance. She started an hour before the two other hot favorites, Van Vluten and, uh, and Rusa. And so she kind of had to wait for an hour to see if her time had been fast enough. But when she did cross line, she was nearly two minutes up on uh, Rihanna Marcus, who'd been sitting in the hot seat um, since the very, very start of the day. And she held that gap the entire time. I mean, Marusa was only 10 seconds behind Van Dyke and uh, Ellen um, Van Vluten was 24 seconds. So they were all three of them were, you know, within 30 seconds of each other. But then the next person down was over a minute, nearly a minute and a half. And that was actually super impressive ride from Amber Neben, who broke her pelvis a little over a month ago. Um, but really, really incredible to see Ellen Van Dyke win. And it's cool next year. She's going to, she's never going to wear the Trek Segafredo kit. She'll be in the rainbow champs and TTs and the European champs in road races. She could yet be in the rainbow bands for road races. Uh, that would be surprising. <laughs> uh. <laughs> possible, but it is possible. It is definitely possible. Uh, you know, is it just because Van Vluten just wins so much that I kind of like seeing her not win things? Is that a mean? Is am I just a mean person for thinking no, that? No, she does win a lot. Um, although less so this year, she still won a lot this year. But um, it's not like I think it was 2019 where it was just almost ridiculous. But um, she, this course didn't suit her super well. I mean. Anna Kiesenhofer, the Olympic road race champ, said after the race that she loves time trialing and she was excited about this, but this course really suited Rusa and Ellen Van Dyke. And honestly, the fact that Van Vluten got third is just a testament to how strong she is. But it was a pan-flat race with basically a tail-ish crosswind. And so it really, really suited the, uh, for lack of a better term, like bigger kind of muscular women who can really put in power and that's what 
Van Dyke and Rusa are. So it was just a better course for them. Yeah, I, I was on the course today uh, just before the on the 23 men's time trial and the wind had really picked up compared to yesterday and it was a either a tail or a side tail for the majority of the race and it was just yeah it was going to be so fast i know of at least one of the under 23 riders was riding a 62 tooth chain ring so that <laughs> that that just tells you how fast um how fast this this course was and as, as you say abby it, it just suits the, the power more powerful rider um you know who can put out bigger watts and, and go faster on a, on a flat course like that. you have a really technical section at the start after that it's long long straight sections that you can see riders who started three minutes ahead of you on some of the sections and it's a tailwind for those long straight sections slightly downhill it's just yeah you know, you're the riders are sitting above 50 kilometers per hour for most of the, the time trial it was it's incredibly fast van vluten is tiny compared to compared to Rusa and, and Ellen Van Dyke and they're not by any means big you know they're also quite small humans but taller and and just better at putting down raw power and um, this I'm pretty sure that the women's race and the men's race for the elite was the fastest world championship like fastest average speed ever for a world championship time trial for both the men and the women yeah, men was like 54k an hour and women were just over 50, I believe, which is that's a fast that's a fast time trial. S- since you mentioned the U23 race, it's worth it's worth taking a quick gander at at the top of the list in the men's U23 race because frankly that the world's time trial and the U23 time trial and the junior time trials too are much better predictors of who's going to be an important player in professional cycling in the future than the road races, right? Because the road races have quite a bit of element of chance to them. Uh, the time trials are just who can create a lot of watts. So was it Johan Price Peterson, uh, another rider who fits the exact same mold that we're talking about, big fella, 1.97 meters is what uh, Pro Cycling Stats is telling me, finishing first there, followed by an Aussie, Luke Plapp. And Plapp's a name that we've heard before. So Australian fans out there, Another one that we can we can keep an eye on. Uh, Florian Vermeersch in third. Again, just keep an eye on those sort of top 10 for the U23 time trial because almost always those riders are going to be, well, it's going to be who we're talking about for Worlds TTs for a decade to come. Yeah, and like Plapp and Vermeersch have already signed for World Tour teams for the next two or three years. Uh, and... Uh, the winner, Price Peterson, is, well, he's not with the World Tour team, but he's with the Uno X, which I believe is pro-continental, the Norwegian squad. But he actually rode the final kilometer, the final kilometer of today's time trial, in one minute and one second. Sorry, that was, that, let, me, let me just say that again, sorry. So Florian Vermeers, who is one of those riders who has signed a World Tour contract, rode the last kilometer in one minute and one second. He took five seconds out of plop in the final kilometer. So yeah, <laughs> just so absolutely. 60k an hour. Yeah, yeah. That's, absolutely insane. That's just that's it's crazy. Just, it just really shouldn't be allowed. It's just, it's just it's just ridiculous. Imagine yeah. like they're going 60 kilometers an hour on asphalt, wearing literally spandex with like little plastic shells on their head like time trial helmets are not safety they're not safe they're they don't make those things like thinking like oh yes impact 
there it's literally like how do we make this aerodynamic every time trial helmet i've ever used i've put it on and been like this would never save me i've always wondered <laughs> would a time trial helmet do more damage when you've got that peak sticking out the back yeah probably would it probably would so price peterson uh the danish guy 22 years old he just recently won the european tt as well uh u23 tt and now this world's u23 tt i think it's pretty it's a pretty safe bet again this is good this is a name that we're going to hear again the dude is almost 80 kilos uh and almost two meters tall uh he's a he's a he's a big boy and for sure when when we by cycling standards probably <laughs> he's a really short nba player um but we are going to be we are going to be hearing about him again which is why I like the world's time trial. I like the world's U23 time trial and the world's junior time trials in particular because you really get a very, very early glimpse at, at who's going to dominate the sport. I mean, just think back to when Remco... Remember, remember when Remco of Ennepol, it was the world's road race his last year as a junior, and he had he got caught in a crash or had a bike issue or something and was like four groups back but was so strong that he just literally just rode through everybody. He just... Like ITT'd all the way off the front. It was astounding. And then, of course, a couple years later, he's talked about as a Grand Tour contender. He's on the podium at a World's Time Trial that doesn't suit him. This is the sort of thing that we can come to expect. Ronan, it's very loud behind you. I'm not sure. I can't hear anything you're saying, Kaylee, over the dog and the bells in the background. The dog that is trying to mimic the bells. So I'm not sure. I don't know which mic Ronan has right now. I'm not sure how much is going to get picked up by that mic. Oh, okay. You've got one of those. So our our listeners can probably only barely hear this. But for those of us sitting on this, um, this Zoom call right now, it's loud. Oh, now it's quiet. I can stop yelling. Really fascinating discussion going on all week about uh, the lack of a women's U23 time trial and road race at the World Championships. It's a damn Um, shame. Yeah, once again, the... There's a really big problem in women's cycling of development and uh, the lack of a U23 race in the time trial and the road race is is really fueling that problem. Um, Lauren Kitchen and I talked about it on the latest freewheeling if anyone wants to check it out. But but yeah, that's it's a debate that's been going on that's not really a debate. It's just kind of a like, hey, we really need a U23 um, women's races. They would help a lot with that massive gap from junior to elite. I mean, it's just it's just silly. It's just like, why, why isn't there one? Yeah, that, that, that's what I was going to ask. Have we any ideas on why? Is it, has has probably because have we ever got an answer to that question? I don't know if I don't know if they think that there's not enough women that would that would be in the race or something. I don't know if that's like something that they're they're worried about. But I just run I mean, it. If the, you build it, they will come. Yeah, or just run it's it about at the, the future, same time as the right men's now. one. Like just run it at the same times as the men's U twenty three. Just just send them off, literally together. It's not together. It's a time trial. You know what I mean? Like just just tack it on. Like it's it's not a difficult thing to do, and I mean like there's just so so first and foremost the U twenty three men's TT is the same distance as the elite women's TT. That doesn't make any sense either. But you could you could send U23 women out for 30K. I'm almost positive that U23 women are capable of riding 30 kilometers. Correct me if oh, I'm man, wrong. That's really asking for a lot. But. I mean, it's 30.3. 
So if it was like 29, I'd be really positive, but it's 30.3, so who knows? <laughs> who knows, really? I just, I just don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I mean, it's clearly just because whoever's been doing, you know, they've been doing it exactly the same way for decades and decades and decades, and there just hasn't been a whole lot of, uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of push for it. So maybe, you know, we're going to be there this weekend. I'll find a UCI person and ask them, hey. Hey. Why? WTF. WTF. Let's move on from the time trials. Again, we're going to get into... Before we move on from the time trials, I feel like it's worth mentioning that Tony Martin announced his retirement the morning of the men's time trial. Um, He'll do the team relay, but Tony Martin, many, 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 many time time trial world champion, is going to retire on Wednesday evening. Good for him. He had a really good career. He's a super nice guy. I feel like he deserves a shout out, you know? Yeah, he, he definitely deserves There was a, a period where it was it was kind of just a foregone conclusion that if he was in a time trial, he was going to win. And his, his yeah. dominance during that stretch there was was something else. Pretty impressive. And, and, uh, and then, of course, he did come back. At, I guess, what, he won three? And then he won a few years after that kind of trio. He won again, which was a nice way for him to kind of reclaim that title uh, after a, a short period of kind of non-dominance. Uh, but yeah, four titles in that time, and he won multiple Tour de France stages. And yeah, there was there was a time when he was just uh, on another level. That that's that said, I I do feel that he he peaked a little bit too soon, and that you know his his crowning moment was obviously winning the the Ross, the eight day stage race in Ireland, uh, and, and the year he <laughs> the year he won it, he you know it it went over my more gap. So um, yeah, it, it, he had a great career, but definitely the first year or two was was the highlight. <laughs> my my enduring memory of tony martin will be his willingness to um to tear can i say this on podcast to tear his taint to shreds uh oh, on a, on a God, <laughs> i thought you were going a completely different direction with that. <laughs> i think i could say that on this podcast uh, yeah we'll put like an explicit on or some of that anyway i just i remember he used to put um like skateboard grip tape on the front of his saddle and it would wear through his he would wear through his skin suit and his chamois by the end of the race and i remember watching him get off uh i think it was in i think it was the richmond worlds i'm trying to remember it was either richmond worlds or it was or it was one of like the opening tts at the tour de france this is like five years ago now i can't remember anyway i remember seeing him he was in his white world champ skin suit at the time and definitely a little bloody down under because of the uh, the grip tape situation, I apologize to everybody for that mental image. However, dude's a badass. That's pretty badass. Hey, young, uh, <laughs> meeting here, you freaches. <laughs> I do apologize, but you know, laid it all on the line for his his craft. And uh, congrats to Tony Martin for a fantastic career. Like I said, genuinely one of the one of the nicest guys that you'll that you'll ever run into in the pro peloton. Uh, I could totally see him doing you know some commentary or something afterward. He's he's got a lot of friends around. Uh, we'll continue to see him in the pro cycling space, I'm sure. And congrats. Now, let's step out of TT worlds for a bit and into some other things that are happening in the world of bikes before we get into our. Little road race preview and nerd nuggets later in the show. 
little Miguel Angel Lopez update. Where are we at, Dane? Yeah, Miguel Angel Lopez, as kind of was expected, uh, he's officially going to be no longer employed by Avarca Sports, which is the uh, the sort of company that runs Movistar, uh, as of October 1, uh, at which point he'll be a, a free agent. And all signs point to him heading to Astana, back to Astana, uh, rejoining, relinking up with Alexander Vinokurov at the uh, the team he rode for for all those years. So, yeah, that's the that's the Miguel Angel Lopez news and uh, the expectation being that next year he'll be riding in Astana kit. Other comings and goings, maybe? Uh, quick Quickstep? Word is that uh, Patrick Lefebvre and Mark Cavendish have reached an, uh, an agreement. Uh, m- more or less, nothing official, but uh, apparently they, they're... Apparently that's going to happen. That's what that's what Lefebvre has said uh, after I don't know two weeks of of him talking, telling the media everything that he's feeling in every moment, uh, and in and, and uh, saying some somewhat controversial things because that's what he does. Uh, meanwhile, Sam Bennett uh, is racing again for Dakota Quick Step, which is a very interesting turn of events. So. Bennett was scratched from the Tour de France roster with a knee issue. Um, the team, well, Lefebvre himself kind of criticized Bennett, questioned whether the knee problem was really that big of a deal, uh, basically called out Bennett in, in a number of ways, some of them not so great. Uh, and then he said, oh, actually, it looks like Bennett's going to need surgery, and therefore he'll miss the rest of the season. But then Bennett raced the Euros for Ireland, and that incensed Patrick Lefebvre uh, and he made his feelings known as he always does um, because Bennett you know he had thought was unable to race and after all uh, Bennett did race at at the Euros and so then the team decided that they were going to race him as often as they could now that he is apparently fit to race and I think there's a lot of the the sort of background for all this is is rules and such around payment and contracts um if a rider doesn't race for a certain period of time because of a health issue, uh, UCI rules allow a team after after that time has passed to uh, reduce his salary. If, if, you're, if you go so long without racing, the team doesn't have to pay you as much as they initially agreed. Uh, but then once Bennett showed that he could race at Euros, like the team I don't think was able to do that anymore. They couldn't they couldn't cut his salary like they'd planned, um, which obviously Lefebvre had wanted to do. And now that they can't do that. They're inserting uh, Bennett into a bunch of race lineups so that he will race, uh, which is sort of, uh, it's, it's a really just an unpleasant situation all around, I think. Uh, but he, did, he didn't finish any of the last three races that he did. But uh, yeah, for the first time since May, he was at Euros, and then he did the Championship von Vlanderen and Guixa Pale over the last few days. So maybe he'll continue to race in De Koenig kit after a lengthy layoff there. But... Uh, yeah, whatever it is, it's not a great situation, and I'm sure he's looking to get out of that as quickly as possible, and I'm sure DeKunick is not thrilled. But, uh, yeah, the season's going to be over relatively soon. So, I'm really intrigued by how Lefebvre has been able to build this, you know, quote-unquote wolf pack mentality within the team. And as a lot of riders who are clearly very dedicated to him and very dedicated to each other, and they win a lot of bike races and – they race as a team, they race very well, and then also treats riders like this on a somewhat regular basis. And I'm 
I'm I don't I I'm having trouble squaring those two things in my head, and the only thing that I can kind of think of is it, is it's a very sort of boys club kind of thing, and the boys will be boys kind of mentality, um, which excuses poor behavior in situations like that. I think, um, not for us. What I mean, you know what I mean. Like within the team, I mean that like that's the excuse, right? Uh, from the outside, it does not excuse the behavior. To be clear, <laughs> but I mean, like that's that's why they can maintain that that camaraderie despite sort of poor treatment of other teammates. I mean, you know, if you were if you were friends with Sam Bennett within the team, you'd think that Lefevre's actions towards your buddy, your teammate, would make you not want to do your best for Lefevre either. And yet, that doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be the case so I, I just i can't really figure out the internal dynamics of that team it makes it makes little sense to me i think the fact that uh almost every talented rider on that team will sometimes win a race probably helps if, if you're somebody on the team who isn't sam Bennett, i mean sam Bennett can win a race no matter what team he's on sam Bennett could go to a, a second division team and still win a bunch of bike races but would florian seneschal still uh, you know, have the success that he has uh, in another team. I don't know about that. Uh, and yet he, at, at the kind of quick step, he can win Grand Tour stages every so often while also being part of the quote-unquote Wolfpack mentality. Uh, ditto for some of their other kind of riders who spend much of the season as domestiques. But then every so often they get a chance to go for themselves and they're riding for, you know, the best classics team in the world. And so, yeah, Seneschal or Yves Lampart or, you know, any number of, of those riders will get those results. And I think that does kind of help them see oh i kind of like it here at the kind of quick step even if the work culture maybe isn't the best all the time i don't understand how there's like no hr how has nobody like given him a slap on the wrist or something like how is that okay how 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 i don't understand like because he, he whose runs job, it whose job is it to like keep this guy in check because they're doing a shit a shit job <laughs> it's not anybody's job <laughs> well it should be it should be someone's job. There should be HR. There should be something. There should be something in place. Like, this is just... It, in any other workplace, that wouldn't fly. That is true. That is true. I was trying to think, like, what the equivalent would be in our workplace. Well, place. I was going to say it might fly. Vinokurov has done some things that might not fly, <laughs> and that they do fly. Or maybe he gets, you know, pushed out only to be welcomed back. So, yeah. Imagine Dane broke both of his hands and he literally couldn't type. And Kaylee's over there tweeting, Dane's making it up. He hasn't broken both of his hands. Yeah, but Kaylee's he not should Patrick be able LeFevre. to type for us. <laughs> <laughs> no, then I'm saying like then our HR would step in and be like, "Look, you can't you can't talk like that about one of your it's employees." True. It's true. I don't think Dane broke his hands. I think his hands look, his hands look fine to me. He's lying. I'm gonna not talk to the media. Uh, on this front, um, no comment. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Um, more somber news. Uh, really, actually, very sad. Very, very, very sad news. Uh, Chris Anker Sorensen, who was a pro for what fifteen years or something like that, um, was a was a pretty high profile rider for for much of that uh raced for you know tinkoff and saxobank and various versions of that all the way back to csc he was killed uh, by a driver in belgium so he was in belgium to work for the national broadcaster 
and went out for a ride. And I don't think we have any real specific details, at least not, uh, as of last I looked. But it sounds like, yeah, there was some kind of collision. Uh, and he passed away shortly after. So just a very, very, very sad thing. And, and I think one of the most sort of poignant things I've seen about it, less about about Chris Anker and, and more just about the, the, the issue of you know, safety on the roads in general was Phil Guyman tweeted something along the lines of, you know, if somebody with that level of skill and awareness can't keep themselves alive on roads, what chance does, you know, a small child have or something like that? Uh, and it re that, that really sort of made me step back and reflect and, and look at like the traffic patterns in my hometown and be like, this is crazy. This, some of this is just crazy. And so maybe if there's, you know, if there's any positive to come out of this, maybe there's a, a bit of a push, additional push to help prevent things like this, right? It's a high profile incident and uh, additional ways for us and cyclists and pedestrians to protect ourselves from these giant killer death trap car machines uh, would always be good. So rest in peace, Chris Anker Sorensen, you were just a really, really nice guy. Uh, chatted with him a couple times at the Tour de France over the years. And one of those riders who was really renowned for his ability to suffer through pretty much anything um, in, in sort of that, that super domestique role. So just a fantastic, fantastic rider and, and by all accounts, a, a really fantastic human. So rest in peace and, and our condolences to everybody who knew him better than us. So while we're in, while we're on more somber topics uh, and more serious topics, we wanted to talk briefly about uh, an issue and, a, and a, well, what's happening basically in Afghanistan. Uh, Wade put together a story on this over the weekend. And, you know, this isn't a call to action or, or like a call to donate really, um, but we just wanted to make, we wanted to make sure that people sort of are aware of, of what's going on. So basically a small number of Afghan women who are part of a cycling club in Kabul and part of the national team, about 30 of them total. Um, you know, they, they, they took to cycling for the same reasons that, that the rest of us do. Uh, but it's also in that country in the last, well, ever, uh, it was a super visible act of, of protest, really. And that's an important point. A protest for equality for women and for freedom. And they like, literally risked their lives by doing so. It wasn't illegal, but it was certainly not accepted, widely accepted. Uh, and the symbolism of that is is far greater to me than, than just simply riding a bike, right? Now, they are currently in danger because of that statement that they made and because they grew public profiles around that statement. They were on the news and documentaries and articles and websites like ours. And what they were doing, riding bikes, is now considered illegal and a sin under the Taliban. So they are hugely vulnerable. So we're trying to raise $500,000, about $6,500 per person um, to evacuate and resettle these 30 people uh, and their dependents in some cases. That's cost for very complicated logistics, getting to airports, paying for commercial flights, uh, visas, quarantines, etc. 
it's a very expensive process. Uh, and we're doing this immediately. I shouldn't say we. We're working with and we're trying to uh, elevate the work of actually a, a former contributor to Cycling Tips, Farid Nori, who's from Afghanistan. He's lived in the United States for quite some time. I think he's currently in Vermont. Um, he started an organization called Mountain Bike Afghanistan. And so my request to you is to head over to mtbafghanistan.org. There's a lot more information there. And just educate yourself on what's happening. Learn what's happening. Uh, I think that if you look into it all, you will see how dire it is and, frankly, how good a lot of us have it at the moment and again I'm, I'm not i'm not here with my hand out for cash but that is certainly the end goal uh so go take a look mtbafghanistan.org uh it's also worth mentioning that specialized is matching donations up to ten thousand dollars and floyd landis of all people donated 50k to this already um now We've got just some some sound bites here that we think are pretty powerful. They're 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 text messages being read by Leon Johnson, an aid worker who's based in the U.S. and is leading the logistical effort to evacuate all these people. So we're now going to hear those text messages, uh, which are from women, female cyclists in Afghanistan. I couldn't sleep last night. The pressures of insecurity are killing me. Last night, the Taliban took two of our neighbor's sons with them. I'm so tired. Today I had a lot of trouble. I went to the demonstration and faced the Taliban for women's rights. The cabinet announced their stupid mockery of mullahs. There's no place for women in their cabinet. Good evening, dear. We passed an unthinkable night in a dark and scary room away from the city. Last night at about 12, we left our house and we just got back home. We left because the Taliban were entering our homes in our area. I am really in pain from this situation. Please help us to leave here tonight. We are really in a bad situation. We can't continue anymore in Afghanistan. We need your help to be alive. It's powerful stuff. Um, like I said, head over to mtbafghanistan.org. There's a couple different organizations working to get, well, there's lots of organizations getting working to get folks out of Afghanistan right now. Uh, we we knew Fareed Nori before and, and, and um, are, are, we just want to help promote this as, as best we can. Go Find out what's happening. Like I said, I think once you do, you will uh, the correct course of action for you will become obvious. mtbafghanistan.org. And thank you. Back to, frankly, far less important topics, but the sort of thing that we normally talk about here on the Cycling Tips podcast. We've got the elite road races in Flanders world championships this weekend. Let's talk about, let's talk about the route first, Dane. Uh, it's, it's not 
exactly a tour of Flanders, but it's obviously in Flanders, so bears some resemblance. What are we what are we looking at this weekend? Yeah, so I think the fact that it's in Flanders, um, you, you you might have in your head, you might be thinking a, a lot of the t- the climbs from the tour of Flanders. It's a lot of those kinds of climbs, punchy with some cobbles, but it's uh, it's actually kind of further east from from a lot of what you might see at the Tour of Flanders, a little bit further south. There's basically, it, it's a little bit more uh, Brabantse Pale territory than uh, Tour of Flanders territory or or than, uh, you know, again, Wavelgem. And the routes for the men and the women for the elite race, um, it's a little bit different for the uh, for the under-23, but the the race goes from Antwerp to Leuven, and on the way, they do a couple of circuits a bunch of different times and they kind of mix and match these two circuits they have a what they're calling the Leuven circuit or the Leuven lap and the, and the Flandrian circuit and they kind of go in and out of these two circuits several times and it's a different combinations of both of these circuits for the men and the women in such a way that is I don't even think it's really worth us going through exactly what they're doing from a like a map or geography perspective because it is extremely confusing to talk about without having a map in front of you uh, I think it's probably better off if we just do some high-level highlights of what the hard stuff's going to be and, and you know how they're kind of slightly different, the women's and, and men's uh, courses here. Uh, but yeah, basically, it's it's a lot of short, punchy climbs and a lot of terrain they're going to go looping back over themselves over and over and over again uh, for both the elite women and the elite men. New, news just in here on the ground at the Wardles. They, they are changing the course slightly. It's now It was so confusing before, they're now just going to have a follow the leader. Uh, and they can use any combination of those laps that they wish. Because uh, that's obviously what they've done in planning this course. <laughs> it does sort of look like that, yeah. If you le- if you yeah. were to look at a map of this, I think you'd think, what? But, so whoever yeah. happens to be on the front of the peloton can't decide which way the race goes now. <laughs> Just to be clear, this is not there accurate is- information. When when the route was announced, Matt Deneef did a, a a piece sort of digging into it a bit. So there is something up on cyclingtips.com, and we'll obviously have previews up this week. So if you really want the sort of full details, yes, of the route, go go check those things out on cyclingtips.com. Great website. Uh, yes, the high. What's the what are the high level? Let's start with the women's race. What are the high level uh, important things to know about this course? Yeah, so it's 157.7K, as Dane said, a little bit confusing, but it's the the notable features are the um, the most amount of climbing kind of comes like two thirds of the way, a little bit over halfway into the into the race. And then it's kind of just rolly, small, punchy stuff to the finish. So a potential smaller group slash punchy rider is is kind of what we're looking at um we're looking at like a mariana voss um corinne rivera lizzie dagnan type rider for this race and the men's yeah the men's race it's going to be hard i think the amount of the overall amount of climbing suggests that this is going to be a very challenging race it's it's, uh 2562 meters of elevation gain overall over the course of 268.3 k that is a lot that's a lot of climbing they're going to be doing it's it's really just one climb after another, after another, after another, uh, from about a third or a quarter of the way through the race all the way to the finish uh, over the course of those two different circuits that they're going to do multiple times. Uh, the kind of the finale of that 268.3 kilometers uh, is going to be, well, they're going to do that Flandrian circuit that I mentioned. It's the longer one, and it's got some tough climbs. Uh, and they're going to do two and a half laps of the Leuven circuit 
uh, on the way to the finish. And it's, again, one climb after another. None of them is super challenging, you know, in and of itself. But they're pretty steep, and there's some cobbles in there. Uh, and there's really not a lot of flat. There, there aren't really a whole lot of sections of, of being able to take it easy, uh, particularly into that last 30K. It's just kind of up and down the entire way. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a very selective race. Uh, I think it's a race that it could end in a reduced sprint among some classics contenders, guys that you would often see at a race like the Tour of Flanders or, or Brabant Sapel. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be... It's going to be a hard one. It's going to be a race that's going to suit the riders who are very comfortable on very challenging terrain. We've talked about it already. Watt van Aert is probably the top favorite at this at this point, uh, a little less than a week before the race. Uh, Matthew Vanderpool certainly up there, but he's a real question mark because of his his injuries, uh, his his back. We don't really know what to expect from him. Uh, we do know that he recently won a bike race, so he can't be in that bad of shape. Uh, but it's just kind of hard to know. I think if he were fully healthy, he'd be right up there with Lafonard as a as a favorite, just because this race really suits his skill set. He loves the the punchy climbs, and we've seen him uh, certainly like Amstel Gold a few years ago. Uh, how good he can be on this kind of terrain. Uh, and then yeah, behind those guys, Sonny Colbrelli's had a great end of season so far, uh, and I think he's a he's a favorite. He's got a very fast finish. Julian Alaphilippe, obviously. Remco Evenepoel, I think Belgium is going to have a really nice uh, one-two punch there. And then it's uh, yeah, the Danes, I think, are another, uh, maybe the next best uh, team there. you got Magnus Court and Michael Valgren, both looking good. Can't count out the Slovenians with uh, Tade Bogacar and Primoz Roglic. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a number of different, I think it's a pretty open race. For me, the, the way that the races have gone the, the past few months here, and uh, particularly the way the Olympics went, Van Aert is the favorite to me, and uh, he's a deserving favorite, but it really wouldn't shock me if we found ourselves in a in a situation where like with, with 10k to go 15k to go uh it's van art and a couple of other big names you know van art and some of the danes also casper asgreen i should have mentioned him but then somebody you know puts in a big attack and everybody looks at each other that would not surprise me at all so i think van art is the favorite but if you know the if the 15th favorite wins this race which has happened at worlds before that would not shock me um so keep who uh, is the 15th favorite uh great question abby let me i and i want to answer it because you know uh, I have it right in front of me here. Uh, if it's Jasper Stuyven, I'm going to be super excited. Well, I, I think I'm seeing like Mark Hershey and Ethan Hader down that that kind of area there. So mm-hmm. and even Peter Sagan, Tom Pidcock, uh, Mess Pedersen, yet another uh, Dane there. So maybe one of those guys. You never know. Uh, but yeah, keep an eye on those kind of late attacks because I wouldn't be surprised if, if everybody just ends up looking at each other, which is exactly how Richard Carapaz won himself an Olympic gold medal uh, not that long ago. Could see Mark Hershey doing it. Yeah, he's looking a lot better now than he was kind of at the beginning of the season. So that that's yeah. yeah. Monte Mohoric. Yeah, he's another one who's had a really good last few weeks. There's been a bunch of riders yeah. who are suddenly you know looking really strong and they're peaking at the right moment. And again, with with this sort of unpredictability and you know riding with national teams, you don't ride with these riders most of the year, and then all of a sudden you have to be teammates. You know, Watt van Aert and Remco Evenepoel are, are suddenly teammates, and they have to work together. Tadej Pogacar and Primoz Roglic have to work together. And that, that that always creates an element of uncertainty as well. How does anyone live in Bruges with bells going off all the time? Ni normal, uh, ni normal. <laughs> I never see it here. Uh. Totally zot. Stop it. You're going to make Belgian listeners upset. The Belgian guy beside me has given me the thumbs up, so it's okay. <laughs> 
All right, so we got random Belgian guy approval. So Ronan can do as many terrible Belgian accents as he wants. That's what I think. I I find it hilarious. So I'm I'm all about it. Yeah. If other people want to do terrible American accents, I think that's hilarious too. I'm not going to get insulted by that. I just have a terrible accent all the time, so it's... (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Looking forward to the worlds. I land on Friday. We're going to go check them out. We're going to make some podcasts this weekend, Ronan. Uh, And Abby? Abby, I keep... In my head, because you're not going to be at Roubaix... I mean, You're I, not gonna be I there cannot this weekend. go. I cannot no, go. We need you there. <laughs> we need to make podcasts. <laughs> the three of us, and I think Shoddy Dave as well, uh, we're all going to be making podcasts this weekend from Belgium, which will be super fun. Provided they don't, I don't know, change the rules about flying in or something at the last minute here. I'll go get my, go get my nose stuck tomorrow. That'll be fun. Can't wait. Favorite thing. Your brain tickles? Now, Get my brain tickle. Get a good brain tickle on. It's time for Nerd Nuggets. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Ronan, you were at the time trials over the weekend. You spotted... Well, you spotted a bunch of stuff, but one thing in particular that we wanted to sort of... Give a little nod to. There was quite a lot of stuff. There was the fact that I seen... Well, let me start with just countless time trial bikes, which was fantastic. Uh, I've seen huge chain rings, 58s, 60s, 62s. I've seen, uh, yeah, quite quite a lot of time trial check tech. But the main thing for me was seeing three of Filippo Ganna's custom painted bikes in the one place. So we can now confirm they are not the one bike being repainted over and over again. They're actually, <laughs> it's the first time three of them have been seen in one place. Uh, and on at least one of those bikes, he had uh, what appeared to be a Princeton Carbon Works front wheel, which doesn't exist. Um, there's actually quite a lot of bikes that don't exist being used in the time trial. There was like a bike from Cannondale that doesn't exist and a bike from Trek that doesn't exist. Um, but there was Ghana was using a wheel that doesn't exist. And on that, I was quite confused because he had a tan, wall, tan sidewall GP5000, which we know does exist but he had a tubeless valve in it and Continental don't make a tubeless Tamwald GP5000. There was also quite a bit of uh, black marker blanking something out. So I have a lot of questions about this tire uh, and I'm trying to find some answers, but I don't know. Luckily, luckily we have a direct line to Continental uh, as everyone who listens to this podcast will know. And so we will bring you information on that as soon as we possibly can. We do not have it yet. <laughs> the Princeton, uh, the Princeton wheel. There's something in my inbox about that. This wheel that, that does not exist. It's from James. Or do mm-hmm. we? It it basically it looks like a, a lot of the time trailers now are moving to you know deeper and deeper front wheels. Uh, we've seen Jumbo Visma using the Aero Coach 100 mil deep. Uh, front wheel and the riders who were not supposed to be using Princeton Carbon Works wheels but were were previously using the 6560 I believe it's called the sort of mid-depth front wheel from Princeton Uh, this one definitely looks deeper it's got the same sort of wave uh, wheel style design to it or profile to it you're gonna make your wheel noise Uh, but it's it's yeah it's definitely looks deeper we don't 
yeah, we don't have any information on that either. But uh, certainly, at least uh, an interesting setup on on Ghana's bike, and uh, certainly didn't seem to to slow him down. So here's the deal: sometimes we know more than we can say, and the nice thing about knowing more than we can say is we will tell you as soon as we possibly can. Uh, but you know, the means with which we acquire this information is sometimes sometimes requires us to just wait a little bit. So what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that Ronan is working on a couple stories right now that will provide additional details on these things that, that he has spotted. No. And uh, keep an eye out for him. What you're saying is that I'm a liar. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You're just obfuscating the truth. Uh, <laughs> we, I th- we'll hopefully have more information on some of these things soon. I believe that the dates are soon uh, because they're interesting things to me. Uh, you know, we've got one of the one of the interesting things to me at the moment is all these tiny, well, not tiny, smaller companies showing up again in TTs, right? Like this used to happen all the time particularly in sort of the early days of carbon wheels and things like that, you know, you'd, you'd have Jan Ulrich on lightweights and whatever else. And But then there was a stretch of probably 10 or 15 years, probably 10 years, where for the most part, people were on sponsor correct equipment because in general, the biggest brands, which were also the ones sponsoring teams, were at the forefront of the, of the technology, right? You know, the zips and the heads and, and, and those folks. But now it seems like for time trialing specifically, I should say, for time trialing specifically, that these smaller companies are kind of stepping in to fill the void a little bit. Maybe because the big brands, they're really focused more on on selling stuff to to us, right? And by us, I mean everybody but Ronan because he does like triathlons and stuff now. The rest of us, you know, wide rims and, and running 28, 30 mil tires and, you know, primarily concerned with like handling and not just absolute speed and all these other things, but that has left a, a gap in the market for this super, super narrow focused time trial gear that's being filled by, you know, Princeton and Aero Coach and things like that. That 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 trend is fascinating to me, right? Because you know, they're doing little tiny things. They're, they're, they're building super narrow hubs and, and things like that. And that's stuff that at the moment, most of the big players are pretty much ignoring. Uh, you know, Shimano isn't building wheels like that for just for time trials because they know that they're not really going to sell very many of them. Whereas there is that gap in the market that's being exploited by the little guys. Yeah, and there's so many of the bikes and, and across all the time trials so far where they've all now got the custom, semi-custom extensions, uh, you know, the carbon uh, extensions that are much more aerodynamic profiled. They've all got, you know, different wheels, non-matching tires. They've got huge chain rings from you know smaller brands pyramids uh concept chain rings they've got aero coach chain rings they've got uh watch shop components all over them they've all got the radar hangers from different brands than the are supplying the the radars yeah it's the the time trial bikes are you know really a, a mix match of you know a lot of different brands and I can sort of understand why the bigger brands, you know, perhaps don't go down that road as well. You know, not just because there there isn't the sales to back it up, but also because quite often this stuff doesn't really work too well together. Uh, and, and even if they're all from you know components from the one brand, they they you know they most likely 
still are not going to work too well together. If you're using a 62 tooth front chain ring, um, you know, and and some sort of uh, oversized jockey wheel and no front derider um, on a narrow spindle crankset, yeah, it's you know these these things just don't don't exactly go perfectly together. So, uh, but the time trials are willing to forgo the perfect shifting uh, in return for a few watts saved. Yeah, and the UCI is kind of somewhat relaxed uh, some of the rules around like oh you, you know everything on your bike needs to be available for sale they seem to not really be enforcing that particularly much um which is why you can have stuff like 3d printed handlebars and stuff like that right so that helps as well and frankly it's proof in my mind that the uci getting out of the way in some of these areas would just lead to more innovation and that's more fun stuff to talk about for us and our and our audience out there so i'm kind of all in favor of that well just on that, we we did speak earlier about just how phenomenally fast the time trials were here, and you know some of the speeds that the riders were hitting. And that's you have this time trial at the World Championships ten years ago, and they're not hitting the same speeds. It's that innovation and attention to detail that is resulting in these you know incredible speeds and uh, times that we're we're seeing now from you know from athletes who don't have the same kind of assistance the athletes 10 or 15 years ago had so it's it's perhaps doubly doubly impressive less internal assistance more external assistance yeah yeah more uh, people are gonna think i'm talking about motors gains. there's no motors yeah. damn it <laughs> uh somebody's gonna tweet at me now all right let's wrap it up for today thanks everybody for listening thanks to ronan for joining us from church-filled Bruges and all of your bells and frites. I just grabbed a frite just now. That was a big bowl. It took me a full podcast eating my bowl of frites. <laughs> I'll see you all on uh, on Friday in Belgium, except for Dane. Sorry, Dane. The other two here. See you on Friday. And we'll run a, a special episode just ahead of the world's we get time to record one end of this week if not then we'll be back next monday after the world championships bye everybody see ya Talk scenes.